Now all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Uh, this week, we welcome back Dr. Mike Walden, uh, the uh, William Neal Reynolds Distinguished Professor of uh, Agriculture and Resource Economics. That's a long title at North Carolina State University. Mike, of course, has been with us so long, so many times, I, I can't even begin to uh, estimate how many times he's I don't have a parking. I don't have a parking space yet, Don, at the studio, so. Well, uh, you know, we can arrange that, or I'll let you use mine from time to time. Dusty. <laughs> uh, well, anyway, uh, we're delighted to have you back. And Mike, of course, specializes in economics, and he is uh, looked to as sort of the go-to guy in North Carolina for what's happening in North Carolina. And, of course, all of our conversation these days uh, has to do with focusing on COVID-19. And I suspect that this whole situation makes being an an economist, very interesting because probably almost every week it's a different picture and some good things happen, some bad things happen, and they all affect what might happen. Well, that, that's right, although I might say that things are, once once it became apparent that this was a big issue, and I don't think anyone knew knew that in March or, or February or, or even late March, uh, how long this would last and how bad it would be, but once that was that became a reality. Uh, actually, things are unfolding about the way economists thought. We had a big drop in the economy, as most people knew, in, in the spring. April was the worst month. Uh, unemployment skyrocketed, job losses. I think we lost 20 million jobs nationally, about six or 700,000 here in North Carolina. Uh, but then we started to rebound in May. And of course, that coinc coincided with uh, the easing of the stay-at-home orders and the, and the uh, closure orders. And we've actually had job growth uh, every month since, since May. Uh, the job growth has slowed down from month to month, but we, we are moving forward now. Uh, one, the, the thing that a lot of the medical experts worried about, and that was a reemergence of the virus has happened. Uh, I listened to Secretary Cohen today and, and they are very, very worried about the next next month uh, with, uh, I don't think the Thanksgiving numbers are, are, are yet evident and we got uh, Christmas, et cetera. So we're going through that second phase that many of the experts worried about. And I think that probably will set the economy back a little bit here at the end of the year. But once we get past the holidays and once People go back maybe to not uh, uh, fraternizing as much as they, they wanted to over the holidays. Um, and the vaccine starts to be administered. That's, of course, that's the big game changer that everyone has talked about. Uh, I think things will brighten considerably in the winter and, and through the spring. And I guess, again, the medical experts are saying that, that, that maybe sometime next summer, um, and that, that does seem like a long time, but still they have some kind of a date where we can look to something close to normalcy. If that happens next summer, I will be happy. And, and it looks like we're, we're headed toward that direction. Yeah, the uh, uh, situation, uh, of course, will get better uh, along the way. It won't be like a curtain raising or anything of that right. nature. But, uh, uh, but I think the vaccine does give us good hope that... Uh, we will begin to get normalized, if that's a good term, uh, sooner rather than later, compared to, say, last March when this thing looked uh, awfully uh, uh, awfully strange and different for us. And, 
You know, in a way, I guess the economy overreacted in last March. Uh, I think we found out that maybe we, um, now I'm not sure about what it did health-wise, but economic-wise, we probably shut down a little more than maybe we had to. Um, and uh, I guess by what, June or July, we were back to uh, maybe stage one of a recovery. Uh, and uh, we're sort of still in that period. Uh, Mike, uh, the uh, thing that's so interesting to us in the advertising business, as we are at radio stations, uh, some of areas of the economy, of course, are doing quite well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, that that's, uh, makes it kind of a, I guess, a spotty recovery. I mean, for example, the construction business is doing great. Right, right. And construction was one of those sectors that was deemed essential, uh, as has uh, food, food processing, food sales, et cetera. But you're absolutely right, Don. If you look sector by sector, you see some big differences. Uh, the sector that got hit the hardest initially, uh, and most people know this, was leisure hospitality. That's your restaurants, your hotels, et cetera. Personal services, not too far behind. Those sectors lost in, in the worst month, which was April, close to half of their jobs. Now, they have come back, but they're not all the way back. On the other hand, a lot of professional jobs like I'm in and you are, uh, where we can use the kind of technology we're using now to interact, have meetings, teach classes, et cetera, uh, they, were, they were spared a lot of the damage. And, and the issue here is that if you look at those two examples, professional jobs tend to be higher paying. A lot of the personal service and hospitality jobs tend to be lower paying. What we've seen here is a is a, an economic divide based on income. People who are in lower paying jobs, not all, but tend to be have been more adversely affected. People in higher paying jobs, less so, and that's that's unfortunate. Uh, but I think it is an indication of how the economy has has changed, and uh, that's something we'll probably hear a lot more about as we go forward and things and things brighten. Those who are in those segments that are doing quite well, like, say, the construction industry, uh, of course, uh, it's, it's kind of interesting. And I would be uh, fascinated in finding out what you think they're doing with their money. In other words, uh, if you're working in a sector that's doing well, all of a sudden you have either the same or perhaps even more income. And yet you have less opportunity to spend it. So where, what are people who are doing well, how are they redirecting their money? Well, one way, they're, one thing they're doing is they're saving it. In fact, personal savings rates hit an all-time high, I think double digits. I, don't, I can recall not so many years ago when the concern was people aren't saving anything. They're actually dissaving. They would be drawing money out of savings accounts to spend. This time we're seeing savings rates. We saw savings rates in the summer up to... 12, 15%. So that's one thing people have done with the money. Another thing that a lot of people have done who are able to work and, and they're working at home is they're spending money in their home. They're looking around and saying, gee, if I'm going to be working here and spending more time here, maybe we need to do some remodeling. Maybe we need to add on, et cetera. So that's been another sector. And you mentioned construction. Construction has done uh, quite well. But this does give us hope, I think, for when we get more widespread opening, we get the vaccine, so we're talking about winter, spring next year, that uh, people have money to go out and spend. So that should help propel the economy forward. Well, I was going to say, long range, uh, how do you think this will affect the way people think in the future now that we have found that perhaps we don't 
don't need some of the things that we were spending money on. For example, business travel, uh, yeah. things like we're, we're doing this program by Zoom. You're in your, your home. I'm in my home. Jason's at the studio. Uh, people are finding new ways to do things that are probably less expensive and uh, involve uh, less expenditures. Uh, how, how does that go look long range? Well, big time. And when I give, in fact, I gave a presentation this morning to a group and I spent about half the time on the things we've been talking about, where the economy has been, where it's going. But I spent the other half the time talking about long run trends. We will look back on this pandemic in so many different ways. But one of the ways is it's going to be a turning point for a lot of things in the economy and the way we live. For example, remote working. I think that's here to stay. Pre-pandemic, about 8% of people work remotely. At the height of the pandemic, 40% of people were able to work remotely. Now, that's pulled back as, as we've opened up more, but I think that remote working is here to stay. There's some forecasts that could reach 50% of the workforce in a couple decades. Uh, yes, I, and I think, for example, this kind of Zoom technology that we're using, or there are other kinds like this, uh, like Zoom, uh, is going to tell us, telling some businesses, look, we can still have meetings. We don't need to maybe rent expensive office space. That's a concern in some big cities. What's going to happen to the office space? Uh, what's going to therefore happen to those, those inner city business districts? Um, remote teaching. I mean, we've been doing it at NC State for a long time, and Chancellor Woodson has said we're going to continue, in fact, expand that. We're still going to have students come on class. But I could see remote teaching take hold in the K through 12 area. Now, they've not had good experiences, but I think the reason is this was thrust on them. They really didn't have any experience. We've had experience in doing it at the college level. So I think I see things like remote teaching taking off. I think telemedicine. My wife had an issue, a little medical issue at the start of the pandemic. We couldn't get to a doctor's office. We contacted our doctor. The doctor said, well, let's do a, let's do a Zoom session. And I can look at your, your it was a physical thing. I can look at the, the wound and, and I can recommend some treatments. And, and she did, and it all worked out. So I think telemedicine is here to stay. And then I think the last game changer, Don, could be if people are able to work remotely so they don't have to live close to their job. They can avoid commutes. And if they can live somewhere where there's high-speed internet, they may decide we don't have to live in the big city. We don't have to live close to our work. We can pretty much live anywhere. And we've already seen that with some of the big tech firms in California where they've told their workforce, go live anywhere you want to, uh, and you're going to be employed. So we could see a redistribution of the population where people live. Now, that's going to depend upon high-speed internet being available, and we can talk about that later, I think it eventually will be. So I think lots of permanent changes to the economy as a result of this pandemic. So uh, are we overbuilt on things like hotels? I think it depends where you live. I mean, if I was, if we were in New York City, I'd be worried. Uh, I'd be worried about uh, hotel space uh, being overbuilt. I'd be worried about commercial space being overbuilt. North Carolina, no. I think North Carolina and the cities in North Carolina are still going to grow, maybe not as fast as they did, but I think they're still going to grow. Uh, so I'm not worried about North Carolina. But, yeah, I think some of the big metropolitan areas that have really taken it on the chin, they've had a lot of negative publicity about, about them. So we're talking about the New Yorks and Philadelphias and maybe L.A., et cetera. Uh, they, could, they could see some downsizing, but I think that'll be at the benefit maybe of uh, smaller cities like Raleigh, Charlotte, Asheville, Wilmington, et cetera. Our guest is Dr. Mike Walden, and we'll continue with uh, Carolina Newsmakers. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the stock market and what uh, has happened during the uh, 
pandemic uh, conditions and also what is likely to happen in the next year. And we'll do that when we continue with the next segment of Carolina Newsmakers. Steven. Who said that? Me. Down here. What are you, a yellow booger? I'm a banana slug, Steven. Well, uh, what are you doing in my room? I'm your sense of adventure. Don't you remember me? Don't you know that we miss you? Miss me? Who misses me? You know, all your friends in the forest. The trees, the pond, that little fort that you made out of branches. We all miss you. Mom took me to the forest last year. I'm a slug, Steven. It took me a long time to get here. Oh, I guess that makes sense. The forest is not that far away. Have an adventure today. I'm sure your mom would take you. You're right. I should get out. I want to have fun. Plant puddles, catch frogs, and climb trees. Hey, Mom! Yeah, hon? <gasps> Stephen! What is that in your hand? It's my sense of adventure, Mom. It's telling me we need to get out of the house and have some fun in nature today. Come to the forest where the more adventurous you lives. Check out discovertheforest.org for cool places nearby. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Adopt U.S. Kids presents What to Expect When You're Expecting A Teenager Learning the Lingo GOAT G-O-A-T Acronym Stands for Greatest of All Time As in Spaghetti Sandwiches for Dinner They're my fave Dad You're the GOAT You don't have to speak teen to be a perfect parent Thousands of teens in foster care will love you just the same Visit AdoptUSKids.org Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services Adopt U.S. Kids and the Ad Council we continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis. We're back with our guest, Dr. Mike Walden, who has uh, been gracing us with his uh, residency in North Carolina since 1978, when he came to North Carolina State University as a professor after receiving his PhD from Cornell University. And since that time, he has become sort of the go-to guy for information on the economy in North Carolina. And uh, so, Dr. Mike, uh, we were talking right before the break about the stock market. One of the things that did not happen or has not happened to any large degree is the stock market uh, really held up quite well during the pandemic and, and, and is still holding up quite well uh, compared to what might have happened and what typically does happen in other forms of recessions. How do you see that? And why do you think it happened the way it did? And, and this can be very puzzling for people. I get a lot of questions about that. This when I do talks. Now the market did take a dive early on, but it but it came back. And in fact, we've set record highs on most of the indices. And one of the questions I get from people is, was the stock market not care? Do they not care that people are suffering and not care people are dying? That we've got this this pandemic here. Are those investors just numb to all of this? And and I can understand that sentiment, but the, the answer is the stock market always looks for that the stock market tries to anticipate the future. They don't live in the now, they live in the future because investments are, are things that where, where the future is important. And so I think we should take um, uh, some hope from the stock market, the fact that it has set records, um, of course, day to day, it can be up or down, but I think the market is anticipating a recovery of the economy. I think they are betting on the vaccines working. I think they're betting on the American economy coming coming back. Uh, the other the other the other factor with the stock market, Don, and this does is a little worrisome, is if you're if you're trying to earn a rate of return, there's pretty much no other place to go because you put your money in a bond or a CD or a money market fund, you're earning virtually zero. 
So I think the low interest rates complements of the Federal Reserve has also been a factor behind the rise in the stock market. And that is a little worrisome because we do worry that that uh, if interest rates were to reverse, let's say we, we do have a booming economy, economy next year and interest rates go up, maybe inflation goes up, maybe the Fed raises rates a little bit, we could see some pullback in the stock market. Now, this is I, I've long ago given up trying to predict the market, but but that is a concern that I would tell people. But I think largely, in large part, the fact that the stock market has been doing well recently, I think we should all take hope from that because it is telling us investors are still betting on the American economy. And I, and I guess this is one of the bits of good news that kept people's spirits up somewhat because had we had a drop in, say, IRA, uh, IRA type investments and things, uh, people may have reacted uh, even more, uh, reacted more to the current situation than they did as far as their personal habits and personal spend expenditure habits. Yeah, and I think that's an excellent point. And, and we, we do track things like consumer confidence. And of course, it did take a beating in the spring, but it has come back. So I think the average person is uh, is hopeful for what's ahead. Now, again, I want to make sure listeners realize that I'm well aware, and I know you're well aware of the fact that not everyone has um, has been able to cruise through this this uh, this this pandemic. I mean, obviously, people who have contracted COVID and been sick, and of course, the the ultimate die. And then there are a lot of folks out there who are not in jobs where they can continue work. They don't really know where their next paycheck's coming from. So we have a lot of issues that we we are trying to deal with, and I think hopefully we will continue to deal with. So uh, I don't want to I don't want to smooth things over and say, yeah, the pandemic's going to be gone and everything's going to be fine. We're, we will have a lot of issues. One of which is the fact that, as I said earlier. The recovery has really favored people at higher income levels and not favored as much people at lower income levels. The other issue here, Tom, I didn't me- or John, uh, uh, that I didn't mention, was, Don, that um, we're going to have, I think, a big shakeup in our job market. Uh, now, we had, this, we had this coming. I mean, and the shakeups being caused by new technology, new machinery, where, th- where there are machines and technology that can do what people are doing. We call this technological unemployment. We, we were seeing that, but the pandemic has really given it a further boost. And what probably one of my biggest worries is that we're going to be looking at here in North Carolina and most states next year, even if things get back to normal, at tens of thousands of people simply not, not having jobs, not having occupations, because what they did has been taken over by machine or robot. I'll give you a real good example. Meat processing plants are big in North Carolina. We actually have the largest meat processing plant in the world in Tar Heel, North Carolina, in Brunswick County. I've been there. It's gigantic. Robots are now being introduced in meat processing plants across the country. I never thought I'd hear see that. And so here you have folks who are skilled at meat processing, cutting, et cetera. They could be out of a job and they need to be retrained for something else. So that's one of the things I always take an opportunity to tell our leaders in the, in the state that we need to watch, obviously, the general recovery of the economy, but we need to really watch where the jobs are coming back. And they're not all coming back where they were lost. And if we need to have a retraining effort, we need to have something that's quick, uh, that's focused. I love apprenticeships with businesses. We can't have people who have families to support to take four years out of lives to get a four-year degree. We've got to have something that's quick, focused, uh, inexpensive, so they can get back to the workforce. On the uh, global side of things, uh, 
what areas and what countries are recovering faster than others and where do you see uh, the, the problems as far as a lack of recovery on a global basis? Yeah, well, we've had, a, it's natural for, for the U.S. to compare itself to Western Europe. And early on, uh, a lot of Western European countries were praised, Germany uh, in particular, for being much more aggressive and um, getting the virus under control. But now they are suffering from a reemergence also. So I think this, is, this has caused many people to scratch their heads and say, well, did these lockdowns and stay-at-home orders, orders really work or not? But if you look at the economic numbers, we've actually recovered a little bit better uh, than, than Western Europe. We really don't know about China. I mean, the Ch Chinese economic numbers, uh, you always have a raised eyebrow with them. Uh, South Korea, Taiwan, uh, Singapore, New Zealand are countries that I think have addressed the virus very aggressively. They've held down death rates. But on the other hand, they're very small countries. Uh, a couple of those, I think three out of the four islands. So it's easy for them to keep uh, people, uh, at least new people coming into the country. So uh, I think we're going to have a lot of debate next year and probably beyond that about if we have another pandemic, what is the right mix of policy? Uh, do we need to lock down early? Do we need to lock down aggressively? Do we not need to do that? Do we need to rely on people to take precautions? I think a lot of there's a lot of uncertainty there about what the right mix of policy is. North Carolina, if you look at two metrics, Don, if you look at death rates per capita from COVID and you look at job loss per capita, you use those two. Uh, we've actually looked very good. In fact, we're among the top states in keeping both of those numbers low. So I would argue that we've done it pretty well. Not everyone's happy with what we've done. I mean, if you're a restaurant owner, bar owner, and gym owner, I know you're not happy. Uh, but, but overall, the numbers show that we've done pretty well here in North Carolina if you look at those two metrics. What about the national debt? We are continuing to see the federal government pour uh, millions of dollars into mm -hmm. uh, additional research, into grants, into programs like PPP and other forms of relief uh, apparently are on the way. All of this is going to be uh, added to the national debt. Are you worried about that? Um, well, I am, but I, I look at the alternative. We probably, when everything is said and done, if we get another relief package, we will have added $4 trillion in national debt, so from $24 trillion to, to $28 trillion. The only good part of that is that interest rates are very low, so the interest cost on, on that debt um, could not be more modest. The question is, should we have done that? And I use, the I, I use this example. Let's say you came home one night from your job, your house is on fire. And let's say we don't live in a society where we have public fire departments. You're responsible for putting out the fire or hiring people to put out the fire. And let's say that you, you, you call up some people, some private fire companies say, I'll pay you to come over here, uh, but you don't have the cash, you're going to have to borrow the money to do it. And you, so your decision is, do I borrow the money, go into debt to save my house, or do I let it burn down? I think you probably borrow the money to save the house. That's kind of like what we've done here. We've borrowed money in order to save a large part of the economy. Because I think if we didn't have these, uh, these, these federal efforts, PPP you mentioned, uh, supplementing people's unemployment compensation, we would have had much higher bankruptcy rates. We're all probably already going to have a 25% bankruptcy rate. We could have a double, double that, and we could have millions of people destitute. 
In other words, we would have lost a large part of our economy. So I think we've gone into debt in order to save a big part of our economy. That's that's the way I look at it. Uh, you mentioned interest rates. Uh, interest rates, of course, are are low right now. What happens if interest rates do rise? How will that affect that additional borrowing that we had to uh, to do to keep the economy going? Well, it'll it'll increase it. I don't think the Federal Reserve is ready to raise interest rates until they until they are absolutely sure the economy's back and they have a target for unemployment. And I think the only thing that could move them to raise interest rates uh, sooner than I think is if we have a burst of inflation. And I think there is a chance inflation will be higher next year, but by higher, I mean maybe 3% rather than 2%. I don't think that'll cause the Federal Reserve to tighten things. So I think we're looking at a, a, a long period of time here where interest rates are still going to be very, very, very modest. And mortgage rates are at an all-time low also, so that is good for the housing and residential construction business. They are, and that's one reason why that that has been a, a sector that has actually benefited. Uh, people, real estate agents have had to sell houses in a different way, but uh, people are taking advantage of those low interest rates, and especially if they still have their job, this has been an excellent time to buy a house. Mike, uh, years ago, uh, uh, did you ever think interest rates would be this low? No. No. When I came to NC State, we had mortgage rates at 18%. We had inflation at 13%. No. Uh, not in my wildest dreams would I have thought that we'd have zero interest rates and want mortgage rates between 25 and 3%. So these are probably unusual times if people are in a situation where they can take advantage of those low rates, they ought to. Our guest is Dr. Mike Walden, and we'll be back with another segment of Carolina Newsmakers right after these messages. You wanted to see me? Yes, please, have a seat. So here's the thing. When this company brought you on, we took a chance on you. You didn't have that four-year college degree we typically look for. Right. But we gave you a shot anyway. And since then, you've worked incredibly hard and given it your all. Thanks. You've been an important asset to the team, but I don't think you can be an intern here anymore. <sighs> We want to hire you. You're, you're serious? Absolutely. Find your next great employee. Introduce yourself to the grads of life. Who are they? Talent worth knowing about. Young adults of unique determination and experience. An ideal fit for your company in an entry-level position, internship, or even mentorship. They might not have every qualification you typically look for, but they're exactly who your company needs. I won't let you down. I know. Don't miss out on a resource many innovative companies have already discovered. Go to gradsoflife.org to learn how to find, cultivate, and train this great pool of untapped talent. Brought to you by the Ad Council and gradsoflife.org. When you went car shopping, you meant business. You ace vehicle history searches and test drives. You out salesmen to the salesman. Now you've got your wheels. If you manage that, you can get your retirement plan on track. Visiting aceyourretirement.org can help. With 401k tips and smart saving strategies, you'll have the info you need to get more for your future. Go to aceyourretirement.org because when it comes to speeding past financial challenges, you're an ace. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. We're back with Dr. Mike Walden, who is a frequent guest on our program. He's been uh, uh, so kind to share his thoughts with us on WPTF and on the North Carolina News Network for years and uh, is looked to across the state as the single most authoritative source on the North Carolina economy. He is a professor at NC State where he's been since 
1978. Mike, uh, I guess that proves that you can keep a job. I mean, <laughs> well, I thank you for those nice words. And, and uh, yes, I've, I've been able to hold on to a job for what, 43 years. Yes. <laughs> Well, yeah, uh, are you working on any books right now? That uh... Well, I'm glad you asked. I have two books that came out this year, Don. Uh, one is a policy book where I've actually used my 43 years accumulated interest in public policy, and I put all of my ideas in a book. The book is called Real Solutions, Common Sense Ideas for Solving Our Most Pressing Problems. That's been out since August. It's available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, your favorite bookstore. And then sometimes the, uh, the left, the, um, uh, no, it's the right side of my brain, the creative side kicks in. And I think you've mentioned the fact that I've written some what we euphemistically call some economic thrillers. I've got three of those uh, co-authored with my wife that I've used as teaching tools. And I don't know, things pop into my brain sometimes. And I got an idea for writing a political thriller. And that got published this year. It's uh, it's title. It's got a funny title. It's called Disunia, D-I-S-U-N-I-O-N-I-A, and it it really takes some of the political situation. I don't get political in terms of pushing a particular point of view, but I try to take some of the political, particularly dissension that we have in the country today, and work a I think a thrilling plot around that. So so that book's also out, and that's available from the, the aforementioned sources too. Any thoughts about ever seeing these uh, on the uh, the TV screen or the movie oh, screen? Oh, would love to. I'm uh, I'm available for for offers. <laughs> that's a that's a tough nut to crack. I know Dan. I don't know. You probably know Dan Gerino. He worked for years yeah. with the with the NNO business editor, and he's been very successful as an author. And he's uh, he's had I think his first movie, What the Deaf Mute Heard, was made into a Hallmark movie. I think it's still the most watched Hallmark movie of all time, but. He's told me how tough that is. I mean, getting getting uh, anything in terms of TV or, or motion pictures is very tough. But I but I'm out, I'm listening. I'm always here to listen to offers. So just bring them forth. <laughs> Let's turn to the election. We of course have finished a, a, a historic election when we, we see all more Americans vote than ever before. Mm -hmm. It was a spirited election, uh, and at least at least one person still thinks it's not over. But uh, I think that may be one of the very few that uh, would agree with that. But uh, uh, how is that going to affect the economy? Uh, how have foreign countries looked at that? Uh, what are our prospects for uh, improved relations on the uh, uh, world market and so forth, all due to the change in administration? Well, that's a very good question. We can only speculate. Uh, President Biden's been around a long time, so he has a track record. Uh, my view is that on, on the economic front, he will probably be more prone to um, uh, uh, raising taxes. I think there's a good chance he will send a package to Capitol Hill that raises uh, tax rates, particularly on higher income earners. I, he's on record as saying he wants to raise the corporate income tax rate, and we can debate whether these things are good or bad, but I think that's something he will... He will propose. Uh, he's also talked about some spending initiatives in the environmental area, uh, in terms of education. Uh, I think one that could get bipartisan support would be around infrastructure. Uh, the Trump administration talked a lot about getting an infrastructure package. They could never get Congress to go along with it. But we, we have needs in terms of our roads, uh, keeping our roads up to date, bridges. And then, of course, we talked about uh, high-speed internet. We have a need to get high-speed internet into, into rural areas, North Carolina, other rural areas in the country. Uh, the electric grid is old. 
a lot of our infrastructure is old and antiquated. And, and then the benefit with infrastructure is the studies show you get a very high rate of return. If you look at it as an investment, uh, it's something that uh, you can spread it around. You can, you can get people everywhere really supporting it and benefiting from it. And again, if we're going to borrow the money and then pay it back over time, interest rates, again, are very, very low. So I'm hopeful the Biden administration will put forth a very aggressive infrastructure package, and, and hopefully they could get some support on Capitol Hill for that. Control of the Senate is still up in the air through the, the election of the two Senate uh, positions in Georgia. Uh, let's assume for a moment both scenarios. Let's assume uh, that uh, the Republicans maintain control of the Senate. Mm -hmm. uh, will that slow things down as far as uh, tax increases? Uh, and uh, look at the opposite situation. Let's assume yeah. that the Democrats get control of the Senate. Well, the, the, the president-elect, uh, um, President-elect Biden and uh, Speaker McConnell, or Speaker, uh, Majority Leader McConnell know each other from their time in the Senate. Uh, they know they know each other's uh, uh, policies, per, per, uh, objectives. They know how each other works. So I'm, I, I would think that if the Senate continues to be in Republican hands, uh, it's not just going to be a place where they say no all the time. I think there could be some real progress. I think it probably would mean that, to use a term, the more progressive proposals uh, like in climate change, probably would not make it through. But I could see an infrastructure package getting through. I could even see a compromise on, on taxes, uh, probably not as aggressively as some would want, but I, I could see a tax plan getting through a Republican-controlled Congress. And of course, you have to remember, Don, also politically, the House is going to be almost evenly divided. I think the Democrats might have around a 10-member uh, 10 majority, and they had, what, 40, 30 or 40, something like that. So uh, I think there's going to be, be need to be more bipartisanship in the House even. And, and, and I like that. I, the fact that if the politics line up to where you have to be bipartisan, you have to get groups to compromise. I like compromise. Um, I've never been involved in this politically, but I've been involved in some committees where uh, we had differences of opinion and, and we had to compromise. So uh, I think there's actually more opportunity for that. Now, if the Senate does become democratically controlled, Everything I said is not necessarily out the window, but I think it would open up for more uh, progressive um, policies, particularly in the climate area, maybe in terms of labor. Uh, there's a move to get rid of the um, um, protections um, that states have to prevent unions, uh, minimum wage, et cetera. I think some of those things would be able to, to go have a greater chance of going through. But uh, I think I think uh, President like Biden is a pragmatist. Uh, he's got a he knows he knows probably virtually all the senators. He's got a long track record. So so I see him being willing to work with uh, people with different points of view. I thought uh, you brought up something that has not been mentioned as much nationally uh, and on the cable news channels as perhaps it deserves uh, some more conversation. And that's the fact that while the uh, American public uh, by more than six million voted for a Democratic president. Uh, the House uh, is probably a better picture of how people really feel because those are actually local elections. And the fact that the Republicans made progress without the head of the party being elected was very interesting. The House uh, uh, being, uh, what, another, what, uh, 20 votes or another, they picked up, what, what, 20 people? I think so, yes, yes. Yeah. 
What's your take on that? How, well, is, is I, I, my take on it is that, um, and you're Don, you're in the media business, so you know this better than I do, but oftentimes extreme positions get attention because they are extreme and they cause people to, to watch and, and listen. I don't think that's where the country is. I think we're still a, a, a politically a central country, maybe even slightly right of center. So I think what you said about the House being virtually split equally in terms of numbers, I think that does very much reflect the country and even the Senate, if uh, whether the Republicans uh, pick up one or two or, or lose lose uh, lose both in, in the in the uh, in, in Georgia, it's the Senate's going to be very equally divided. So I, I think what we have here is a Congress that really represents the country quite well. That we're pretty much equally divided. The the fringes don't control things, and and I I'm hopeful this will lead to a large degree of bipartisanship, which I think is what's been missing for probably a, a couple decades. Looking at the uh, global situation again, uh, obviously the past administration under President Trump really uh, disrupted a lot of relationships with a lot of foreign countries, many of which were close allies. How long do you think it will take to rebuild those relationships where they've been damaged? And will people ever really trust America again like they have in the past? Um, I think I think President like Biden will work to repair a lot of those relationships, but I don't know that he wants to necessarily over out over overdo or, or, or dismiss some of the initiatives that, that President Trump pushed. For example, getting NATO countries to spend a higher percent of their GDP on funding NATO. And, and in fact, not they've traditionally not even met what they said they would do. I think that's something that's probably good. And President Trump worked to, to do that. And, and I would expect a uh, president like Biden would continue that. Uh, the Middle East, the Trump administration's made a lot of uh, gains, I think, in the Middle East. And uh, I, I would expect the Biden administration would probably try to, to add to that. I think the big question is our relationship with China. Uh, President Trump, I think, sort of had a love-hate relationship with China. He he bashed them uh, in terms of their economic policies, but on the other hand, he oftentimes praised uh, President Xi. Um, I, I think probably, I think well, actually, I know because I think by, by President Elect Biden's already said he's not immediately going to roll back the tariffs that President Trump put on China. So uh, I, I don't see a big break. I see probably some softening around the edges, maybe in terms of public relations. But my guess is the Biden administration will look at some of the things that the Trump administration did and say, oh, okay, that, that actually moved the ball in the direction we want to. And we may have, have to move the ball in a slightly different way, but uh, it's in the direction we want to, and we're going to try to continue that. Well, it's, uh, it's certainly going to be interesting to watch. And as, uh, uh, as I said a few moments ago, a lot of the national press is not focused on uh, some of the things that, uh, uh, that President Trump did that, uh, that will be continued. And, and I'm glad to hear you make those comments. We'll be back with uh, our guest, Dr. Mike Walden, and uh, more on Carolina Newsmakers as we have our final segment. And that's coming up right after these messages. I spend a lot of time in the garage, but even more time in the rain, sleet, and mud. In 95, I helped tow your moving trailer. In 05, I helped you get out of a ditch. 
Yeah, I know I'm a bit rusty, and sadly in 09, it was sparks from me. Your handy chains dragging behind your truck that accidentally started a wildfire. Sparks from dragging chains can start a wildfire. Spark a change, not a wildfire. Visit SmokeyBear.com. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Only you can prevent wildfires. America, your children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. We're back with our guest, Dr. Mike Walden, who is a professor, of course, at North Carolina State University, where he has taught since 1978, and, uh, of course, is well-known as being one of the true uh, authorities on the North Carolina economy. We started the program by talking about how North Carolina has reacted to the COVID-19 crisis and where we stand, and probably would like to uh, conclude with sort of an overview of what you have seen and what you expect to happen in the next uh, three to six months, Mike. So uh, where are we and where are we going? Well, we're making progress. Uh, and in fact, I think when the numbers are in, it will be said that the recession has been over for several months. And all that means is the economy is moving forward rather than backward. It doesn't mean that we've recovered everything we've lost. We've actually recovered a little over half of what we lost in the spring. But we are moving forward. The big challenge right now is the resurgence of, of, the, of the virus. So I think the end of the year here will be a little shaky in terms of making economic progress. We just had a report today about a climb in initial claims for unemployment. But once we get past the holidays and, and uh, once personal interaction perhaps goes back to, to normal and very importantly, once we get the vaccines distributed, people get inoculated, et cetera, uh, I'm hopeful that we will, in fact, I'm, I'm very much think this will happen. We will have a rebound in the economy, uh, probably on in terms of our growth rate, maybe a four or 5% growth rate, which would be double where we were even pre-pandemic. Um, we're not going to have, however, and I want to emphasize this, all the jobs that were lost are not coming back. Business, we're not going to business as usual. This is the, the virus. The pandemic has changed businesses permanently. It's changed how businesses will operate in the future. It's changed the kinds of people businesses will hire. We've had an enormous explosion, of course, in the online buying and, and delivery. Uh, that's going to continue. So there are going to be job opportunities there. And again, this is my big point that we need to realize we're going to have facing us for several years, a need, a need to have a lot of folks who were working and working successfully, they find out those, those jobs aren't there. They're maybe done by a robot or technology. They need to be retrained. And so we need to look at these new jobs, for example, in, in the cyber world, in the delivery world. Uh, we need to look at construction jobs. We need to track where the new jobs are, are being created. We need to keep in contact with businesses. And we need to make sure in North Carolina, and we're very good at this, we have great community college system, one of the 
probably the best in the country. We need to make sure that we have those community colleges as well as the four-year colleges working with businesses, finding out where jobs are being created, and we have the training programs in place, as well as a sort of support apprenticeships. I think that's a great way where you learn on the job. I think that's going to be one of our great challenges. The other thing I think is North Carolina is going to come out of this pandemic in terms of our reputation as a great place for families to live, for businesses to locate, I think, intact. Unlike some states where I think their image has been tarnished, I don't see that in North Carolina. And in fact, I can see a lot of folks who are in other states who are worried about the pandemic and worry about what life will be after the pandemic decide if they're going to move, they're going to pick North Carolina. So we could see an influx of folks coming here. And of course, that creates new economic opportunities. Well, you know, I, you every, everything you said, every time I would think about uh, New York City, I'm thinking about why people would want to live in New York City when they can live in North Carolina. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I mean, if you're in finance, uh, Charlotte, I think, is now the second biggest financial center in, in the country. Uh, Raleigh is just growing by leaps and bounds. There's plenty of room to build here. We've got great universities. We've got a big tech sector. Uh, so, yeah, I think we've got pretty much everything we need here. Now, of course, growth creates challenges. Transportation, we need to make sure that people, uh, everyone's boat gets lifted, et cetera. But I'm, I'm really optimistic, maybe even more so optimistic about the future of North Carolina post-pandemic than, than pre-pandemic. Give a brief summary again of where you think interest rates and mortgage rates might go for the consumer. Yeah, I, th I think initially in 2021, still very, very low interest rates, very, very low inflation. I think as we get into the second part of the year, uh, we might see some upward pressure on those. So if you've got borrowing to do, if you want to buy a house, buy a car, finance anything, do that in the first part of the year. Keep your eye on inflation. If that starts to go up, the stock market might get a little wobbly and we might see the, the Federal Reserve come in and actually uh, raise interest rates to try to put inflation in its place. But we're not talking about double digit inflation. We're talking about maybe the difference between a 2% and maybe a 3% inflation rate. But but uh, and, the, and the solution here, of course, in investing is always keep a diversified portfolio. I'm not a person who tries to predict what market is going to do well. I'll leave that to other people. I've never been successful with them, and I can't find people who are consistently successful. So always keep some of your money in stocks, some in bonds, some in safe investments, uh, some in real estate, uh, some in precious metals, et cetera. And the more so when you're younger, when you get older, like 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 I am, then you want to move more towards safety because you simply don't have as many years for things to turn around. So uh, there's no magic bullet there with the, with the investments, but I do see next year maybe divided in two. First half of the year, similar to what we are now. Second half of the year, as the economy gets better, we might see some of these issues rise like higher interest rates and higher inflation rates. Is this a good year for North Carolina with its high and, and very good bond reputation and high credit rep reputation? And, and with our huge infrastructure needs for those counties that are growing, they have a infrastructure need for increasing the facilities and in other areas we have one of replacing. Is this a good time for a big bond issue in North Carolina? It is. And I expect on that'll be at the state level. That's going to be debated. Uh, the governor's on record as saying he would like to borrow some money for some of these big projects. So we'll see how the the new General Assembly, which is uh, still controlled by the party that's not the governor's, we'll see how they will react. But just in terms of the cost of borrowing, yeah, this is a fabulous time. And North Carolina's fiscal situation is much better 
than other states. Yeah, we're probably taking a little bit of hit in terms of revenue growth, but we have a lot of revenue in the bank, if you will, the rainy day fund, et cetera. We've been very frugal in our spending habits in the last several years, and I think that's paid off right now. So I think North Carolina is in a very, very good situation if, if it wants to borrow. It's a good environment to borrow in terms of interest rates, and, and we have the fiscal situation, I think, that will keep our bond ratings very, very high. And that also might help uh, replace some of those jobs that are lost. Uh, if we spend more on the infrastructure, that would create jobs. Oh, absolutely. Uh, road building, uh, internet building, uh, school building, uh, any kind of public buildings. Yes, that does create jobs in construction. Again, uh, reminding us of the need to make sure we've got people trained in those construction jobs. Again, this is where our great community college system comes into play. So once again, I think we need to make sure that the educational system is keeping track of what's happening in the business world and vice versa. Those two entities need to work together. When they do that, I think we can get the trained workforce that we need and we can make sure that everyone has a job that pays well. You've got about 30 seconds to respond to what uh, additional broadband would do for North Carolina if we're able to spend some money on that. Well, broadband today is like electricity was in the 1920s and 30s. It's really become a necessity for the modern business world. So I think it would open up all kinds of possibilities in rural and small town North Carolina. It would take cities like Goldsboro and Laurenburg and, and Kinston, et cetera, and really put them on the map. I think we'd have a lot of businesses saying, you know, we really want a slower pace of life. That's where we want to be. Mike, thank you so much. Dr. Mike Walden, the William Neal Rimmel's Professor of Agriculture and Resource Economics at North Carolina State and our frequent guest on this program. If you'd like to hear a repeat of this broadcast or share it with a friend, you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com and do just that, carolinanewsmakers.com. program has been produced by Jason Kong, and he'll have another interesting guest for us next week on the same group of stations. So until next week, same time, same station. I hope that you have a great week. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Carolina Newsmakers.